Welcome, Highfalutin Ski Bum Podcast, episode number 232. It is your pals, Mario and Brian. Mario, what's up? Just hanging in there, uh, trying to make some light out of the darkness from COVID hitting the ski industry. And I think it's working, finding some light parts to the darkness that's out there. And I think everybody should do the same. Yeah, there's a lot of positive things that people are charting to do these days. I know there was a big dumping of snow this week that we're going to talk about in the New England, mid-Atlantic area, Pennsylvania, broke some records. I heard about a lot of shows. Yes. There was a lot of shoveling. I know I did some shoveling. I actually posted on Instagram. I was like, shoveling snow is more fun than a day at the beach. Don't at me. Because frankly, (laughs) I love snow. I love shoveling. It's awesome. I actually took Benjamin today in the backyard. I put his skis and boots on and I have that ski trainer that I have for him. And I just kind of like whipped him almost like water skiing. Like I nice. pulled him in his skis and just, just to get it balanced, to get comfortable, to get you know more comfortable in his ski boots, which obviously is something that's not possible. Just whipping him around and he was having a great time. Dude, you got to pile it up. Just pile a high thing. The problem with the snow by us was that it was really, it snowed, <clears throat> excuse me, maybe like four inches, but then it all sleeted on top of it. So it was just nasty, uh, chunky, icy. And then it froze over, melted, and froze. Seriously, right? (laughs) Yeah. Get accustomed to it now, my son. That's right. He'd be like, this is normal. He'll go go out west the first time, but like, holy shit, this is real snow. I wanted to, I actually was trying to make a jump for him. I was going to like pull him across the jump, but again, I couldn't move it. It's just everything that was in place is just frozen in place. I think what you need to do is in the summer, build like a, like a ramp. So that when it snows, it snows, it snows up. yeah, yeah, on the ramp, and then you could just use that and just like you could build a jump after that. You could use it too. Maybe you could that start training for your backflip. My backflip, yes. <laughs> I actually took Benjamin to Big Snow this week too. Finally, yeah, I saw that. Pretty which was sweet. A lot of fun. Yeah, we had a great time there. He he was hating his ski boots at first because we do the season rentals for him, and yeah. he hated them at first. But then he got used to it. And let me tell you, so Big Snow is the indoor place at American Dream Meadowlands. We've talked about it in the past. We talked to Hugh Reynolds, who's the VP of marketing there. Great guy. When I took him there, it, again, it's it's the most un-ski resort trip you're going to make because you drive into a parking garage off of Route 3 in Meadowlands in a mall. Dude, that parking lot, it's 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 such a pain to, you don't know where to go. Like I, confusing, right? I drove up and down a bunch of times. Finally, I, I try to remember where we parked last time. Try to find that same area. Got there, parked. You're walking into a mall. I'm walking with a toddler carrying his skis, his boot bag, going in, going up the elevator, checking in, doing that whole process. And it was, it was, was crowded, but it wasn't too, too bad because they're limiting the numbers of people that can go at every time. Get him and in you his gotta boot. Book your time, right? You got to pre-book it. Yeah. So I got him, in, I got him all booted up. I got him out there. He was kind of like not happy in his ski boots. He was, you know, fussing a bit, a little annoyed, had to wear a mask the whole time. But as okay. soon as we went out the door from the locker room to the snow, his whole demeanor changed. He just looked up and was like, Oh my God. Like he was mesmerized by that. It's got to be like literally Willy Wonka for kids, right? Like, holy crap. I thought we were just going to a stupid mall. And now this whole thing is like a ski thing. You know, didn't you kind of feel that way too when you walked in there? I mean, I was like amazed because you go from this warm locker room to this cold, this, this, this little bit of wonderland. It's almost like going to visit Santa, actually 
snow though, like real cold snow. But he was mesmerized by it. He wanted to play in the snow, so we were kind of tooling around, and I had to, you know, push him and pull him around a lot. So I was dripping sweat. I had a great workout. So I didn't realize this either because I just I got a little cocky. I took him a few runs on the magic carpet, which was fine. It was a little bit slow because they have like a little curved course there now, and then went right. to the main chairlift there at Big Snow. Went up the chairlift, and I was like, "Oh, we'll just do what I did last year. I'll just use my uh, the ski trainer and just let him go down, and I'll just, you know." I'll just kind of snow plow and, and pull him back and rein him in. Well, that, that hill is steeper than the last, the place I took him to last year. And he has gained weight since then, or I've lost strength or both because I started going down from the top. He started flying and I couldn't stop him. So I actually, but I actually learned that I could actually parallel behind him and not just snow plow. So there's enough rope on that ski trainer that I can actually parallel normally ski behind him and control him. So by like the third or fourth run, I was actually doing some fun skiing and kind of like whipping him around. Like he's, nice. he's starting to get the hang of it. He's turning. I'm telling him Benjamin turn. He's kind of leaning to the side and turning. And I was going behind him. And by the last run, we were, we had a great little flow going Dude, with, that's the new, awesome. with the new get fresh snow that we got here. I'm taking him Monday and hopefully Tuesday or Wednesday too. So Trying to get a couple runs in. Got the Indy Pass, so I'm trying to hit some of the Indy Pass resorts that are nearby and get Very some cool. skiing in before Christmas, which is always kind of a, a goal I have every year, getting at least a couple of days in before Christmas. That's something. And we'll talk a little bit more about the big storm, winter storm gale that hit. We have an awesome interview with Lindsay Delorier, who is the president of Bolton Valley. It was a great chat with her. And nice. some other fun ski stories this week on the podcast. So thank you so much for listening. We really do appreciate it. Check us out, skibumpodcast.com. By the time this comes out, it might be too late to order some swag for Christmas, but there is the New Year's. There is the whole ski season coming up, the snowboard season. Get out there, skibumpodcast.com slash shop. Socials, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, ask Podcast. If you want stickers, go to Instagram, DM us, or hit us up, skibumpodcast at gmail.com. Go to your favorite podcasting app, rate and subscribe. We really do appreciate it. One thing we do have now, we have a sponsor for the podcast. Boom. Yes. The good folks at Valon, they have decided to, to sponsor us. This is a pair of their ski aviator glasses that I am currently wearing. Very nice. Personally, I think they look stunning. I've been loving these things. They have a classic style, maximum performance. They... Their whole thing is they do an update on classic styles using modern materials and technology. Their brand originates in Verbier, Switzerland. Nice. So this isn't coming out of Gotta Bayonne, New Verbier. Jersey. Verbier, Switzerland. It's born out of a love of ski touring and schemo. It is an independent family-owned business. They actually do a lot of really cool stuff. They are reasonably priced. I think these may be a hundred bucks, a little over a hundred for the glasses. Nice. Also have, as an example, a pair of their Freebird goggles. Nice. Those Super nice. Sweet. These are really nice. They got a few different colors. They? They're pretty dark, but I also got a yellow lens for oh, East Coast right. skiing. Super nice goggles. Uh, nice. Can't wait to use the them this week. Thing. But I got to tell you, I love these sunglasses. I wore them all day today because it's super bright out. I love big aviator glasses. And, you know, I used to be a a big whore to the the O company, we'll call them. The big O yeah, sunglasses. I don't even want to talk about them. 
I'll tell yeah. you, I could chuck all those glasses in the garbage now because I it's Luxottica, right? It's it's Luxottica. They own yeah. everything. They're they're just a bunch of whores, overpriced Italian nonsense. This stuff, Valon, reasonably priced, family owned. This is really cool. One kilogram of plastic waste is cleaned up for every sale they make. To date, over 54,000 pounds of plastic waste has been cleaned up. Nice. So they're environmentally friendly. They put out awesome products. Free shipping to the U.S., express shipping available, free returns. Now, for our listeners only, we have a special coupon code. Use SKIBUM15 and you will get 15% off your order. It's big. That's which is huge. awesome. They have two pairs of goggles available, the free birds and the stairway goggles. Like I said, these are the free birds. They got a few different colors. Super sweet goggles. Freebird. Freebird man. Free Again, they bird. have their whole thing is they do like kind of unique vintage styling with modern modern optics, nice. modern technology. Check them out. It's Valon V A L L O N dot store. That's their website, V-A-L-L-O-N dot S-T-O-R-E. So thank you. Mario, let's kick this thing off the way we always do. It's time for Opre Today. All right, so I'm still working through my uh, beer advent calendar, and I've been doing it in spurts. So the funny part is I was like, I can't just start drinking every day. Like, I'll be, I know myself, I'll be an alcoholic in no time. So I've been stockpiling them and then drinking them in, in bunches. Now I'm up to, so I think I have the 13th. Well, I think they have the 14th. I mean, so I'm a little bit behind. So this was from the 13th. Uh, and I'm going to do the, so this is all German beers. So it's a German beer advent calendar, which, you know, is goes well because I guess Chris Kringle, German, the whole thing, like starting Pompous. in. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Pompous is German. It's all German. Festivus, that's German, right? That, that works. <laughs> so I'm drinking a Schwarze Tinte collab stout. Now this is, a, so the whole pack that I got is German microbrews, which I didn't think that existed. I, th- I thought it was just local breweries, but this is actually a collaboration between two breweries. Hmm. I'll show the, show the can. Schwarze Tinte collab stout. Nice. Pretty cool, right? So this had an 84 on uh, Beer Advocate, I got to say. That's pretty, wow, not pretty good. And it's a stout, foreign export. Uh, rank is 117. That's not bad. Uh, ABV 6.2. They're saying it has dark, nutty, brown body with slow, dying khaki head. I don't know what a khaki head is. It's the color, I guess, right? I guess. I'm not pouring it to a glass. I'm drinking like an animal right out of the can. Like a damn savage. You like the Attila yeah. the Han. Of beer oh, this is good. Nice stout, not too. So, like American stouts that I've had are a little more. Malty. This is right. less malty. This is okay. more. So, a lot of beers I've had there, I'm like, you know, I'm not in the mood for a stout or a lager. And they're all on the mild side. So, I think maybe the Germans, at, at least that contributed in these microbrews for this advent calendar, I think they were a little more on the mild side. So, maybe mainstream, but uh, this is really good. It's very tasty, a little toasty, a little nutty. I get that. But yeah, this is really good. Um, I got to say, I'm impressed with the whole group of German beers that are in there. Because normally you think of just a regular German beer as like, you know, an Oktoberfest beer or Pilsner or whatever. But there's been some good ones in there. 
I got to say the Hellas that they have in there, there's a lot of Hellas are great. I love them. They're just hey man, easy they've been drink. making those beers for five, 600 years. So you, you'd think they've, they've mastered this by this point. Oh yeah. And that's in the wheelhouse. The Hellas is like the, I think every town you go to in Germany, they have like a little Hellas local brewery, you know, they make a Hellas. Usually it's a Hellas, a Dunkel and a Weiss. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty impressed with the whole box so far. So good little gift that my uh, beautiful bride gave me. Hey, from perhaps Costco. we should reach out to them and see if they can sponsor us. Reach out to the I company. Boxes together. All right, what do so, you got, buddy? So I, this is our last podcast that we're doing before Christmas. And it's going to be out the week of Christmas, which is a fest, festive, wonderful time of the year. And we always talk about the different warm apres drinks that you know we've enjoyed when we were skiing in Europe. So last weekend, my wife made Gluvine. Yay. We talked about, awesome. talked about Jaeger tea last week. Very good stuff. So she made Gluvine and she makes it very differently than my mom makes it, which is fine. You know, they're all, everyone makes it different. My mom uses black tea and red and white wine. It's almost like a Jaeger tea Gluvine combined the way she made it. The closest between Jaeger tea and Gluvine are very close, except Jaeger tea has a lot more alcohol in it, I think. Well, I think my mom's is almost more like Jaeger tea with, because she uses brandy, rum, and hmm, something else. I think two kinds of brandy, like a, like a yeah, Slitherwitz, like a plum brandy, a regular brandy, and then rum. So this yeah, recipe is, uh, is Jaeger tea. That's the one you're supposed to. Right. So that's, but she uses that in her Gluvine. Oh, okay. So she, she almost combines Gluvine and Jaeger tea in her recipe. So this Jager one, wine. pretty much, right? This one is from chowhound.com. The very German website, chowhound.com. We've tried this one last year. We tried it again this year. This is a this is a great recipe. I really like it. Is there an umlaut over the O? Of course there is. Over the U. Oh, yes. Chuhund. Chuhund. Not really O, it's Hund. Chuhund. That sounds German. That's right. Of all of our ski trips we've been on, the best apres scenes are in Europe. Ischgl, Vermont. I mean, we had some incredible times there. And the glue vine that we had, it was always, again, there they have like packaged glue vine, almost like you have box wine here. They have like boxed, yeah. regular, mass produced glue vine. It's the Stroh's, right? The Stroh's glue vine or Jaeger tea? They make Jaeger That's tea. Okay. That's actually pretty good, though. I was surprised. Very sweet. I don't Very make mine sweet. Yeah, that's the problem. A lot of the stuff is usually way too sweet. So this one, when you make it fresh, you can control your sweetness, which is nice. So what the ingredients for this recipe are two medium lemons, two medium oranges, 10 whole cloves, five cardamom pods, one and a quarter cups granulated sugar. Again, you can control that, dial it back, dial it up, whatever you want to do. Splenda. One, Splenda, monk fruit, uh, stevia, whatever you're feeling. If you want to get weird, get weird. Try it out. We use the monk. We use the monk fruit sweetener a lot these days instead of regular sugar. It's a pretty yeah, it's good, good substitute. Yeah, it's not bad. See, the Splenda has like a weird aftertaste. Splenda's sometimes. disgusting. And after watching Breaking Bad, never using Splenda again. Stevie is all right. Stevie has a little weird aftertaste also. The monk fruit I've had is better. Yeah, better. I like the monk fruit. So that's what we usually use. A quarter, one and a quarter cups of water, two cinnamon sticks, two 750 milliliter bottles of wine, you can use cheap wine. I use Carlo Rossi. Why bother with fancy stuff? You're putting in sugar and lemons and other it's stuff. Used for decades. Why would you mess with something that works? Why? 
why fight City Hall, right? Exactly. Half a cup of brandy. And then it says cheesecloth and butcher twine if you're going to put all the cloves and stuff into that. So you kind of cook everything, all the non-alcohol stuff down. So the lemon juice, the lime juice, the zests, the sugar, you cook it all down. And then you add in the wine and the brandy and you let it sit for a while. The flavors melt together and then you serve it warm. And we made it and it's in the fridge cold, just heated it up, has a beautiful like purpley color to it. It, And it's warm on a cold day like today. It just warms your whole body up. It's perfect after skiing. And now with people having to use their cars as their lodges, you get yourself a thermos or a... uh, Ski Bomb Podcast Yeti thermos like this. There you It'll go. stay nice and warm in your car. Get off you get the slopes. Plug in, plug in heaters for the for your coffee. You'd heat up the glu- the glue run. Don't even need it. Boom. This thing will keep it warm. That will. That will. Keep it in your car. Done with skiing. You put it in your cup holder. You drink it on the way home. That's it. Depends how far you got to drive. Obviously, That's I would recommend a full cup of glue vine in this because I would. It's magical. I it's would. Magical. It's a yeah. magical drink. It, it'll not be for uh, not for well, so I'm saying for yeah. passengers. Yes. Never as a driver, only as a passenger. Exactly. But that stuff is great. I mean, you have one little cup, it warms you up. It just feels like Christmas. It feels like skiing, Christmas, everything. I pray ski. It just feels right. Everything you know? that's anti-COVID right now. Think about all the terrible yeah. things in the world and think about the complete counter to all those terrible things. Skiing warm hugs hot tubs yeah fondue all the positive things in life that's what this tastes like warm so, we made christmas, so we made christmas cookies last week and that was nice and warm it was like a family thing we have made no christmas cookies this year we have not had time it's been too friggin' hectic but i did buy four stolens this week <laughs> Four. I spent $91 on four stolen this week. Now, where'd you go? Market Basket again? Market or Basket in Franklin Lakes. I'm not advertising for them. They don't. Have, I paid with my hard-earned money. They didn't give me anything. Those are the they ones were, you got? They were just wrapping them up. Like That's how they were wrapping them up. I bought four of them. Benjamin and I ate half of one in the car after we went skiing at Big Snow. So it was good that we stopped there first and then went skiing. So we were wow. ready to go. We had our we had our stolen yeah. in the car. We had a little apres ski in the car, and then we drove home. It was great. That, stolen in Grovine after skiing. Yeah, you're living the dream. Let's go to ski news. As we mentioned at the top of the show, winter storm Gale buried Pennsylvania, New York, New England with buried. feet of snow. This storm was a whopper, and it was crazy because originally. They were saying that, you know, it was going to be a, a decent sized storm, but it just became a monster. And the way it hit certain areas, you know, there was, I think Okima said they got 48 inches. They were, their, um, their lift operations wasn't even, they, they said they couldn't even get their lifts open Friday morning because of all the yeah. snow, because it wasn't expected. They like to embellish. They like to embellish. They but do like to embellish, but do it. Shit load of snow. Well, it wasn't expected. They were saying the hardest hit was going to be North Jersey, Catskills, into Connecticut, Massachusetts, maybe a foot. But it dropped four feet in places. Dang. They were saying that Binghamton, Binghamton, New York, got 40 inches of snow, shattering wow. all-time snowstorm records, and Williamsport, Pennsylvania, got 24.7. Isn't that where the... um? 
Little League World Series is? Williamsport? Yeah. yeah. That's- it's in New York City, got between eight and 12 inches of snow, but nobody was there. So they're not really sure. They can't really uh, <laughs> tally it up. Parts of Pencil- or, uh, New Hampshire and Vermont got over 40 inches as well. By state, they're saying, so top snowfall totals, Connecticut, 26 inches in Bethlehem. Indiana got four and a half inches near Marion. Maine, 28 inches near Acton. Massachusetts, 24 inches in Florida. Florida, Massachusetts, apparently is a place. New Hampshire, 44 inches in Croydon. New Jersey got about a foot in Highland Lakes. New York, 44 inches near Newark Valley and 40 inches near Binghamton. Damn. Apparently, apparently Oklahoma got 10 inches of snow, which that's boggles the mind pennsylvania 43.3 inches near alba alba adventures perhaps i don't know maybe they're affiliated maybe that's it 14 inches in gloucester rhode island vermont 42 inches in landsgrove 41 inches at ludlow that is just unbelievable chemo just got destroyed there in a good way and then west virginia got 12 inches near hamilton i mean Mm. I'm sure like West Coast people are like, oh, those are good numbers. They're not amazing. These are amazing numbers, especially this early in the season. And for it to actually be almost all snow, New Jersey and North is unbelievable. It's perfect timing, especially with with COVID and restrictions, like lift ticket restrictions, all these places have to do. This is opening up so much terrain so early. I mean, this is the the greatest thing. At that stage, yeah. Of all the crap news we've had all year long it's like we're finally like just it's like the page is turning to go into 2021 and this is kind of helping turn that page like just we're, we're yeah. changing we're putting the negative behind we're looking positive this is jump-starting the ski season everywhere because a lot of places even in vermont were barely able to open yet i think magic yeah. just opened this past week Bolton just opened on the 11th, the week before, you know, even Killington, they had a couple runs open, but it it wasn't, you know, where they've they've been in the past, but this is going to help out everywhere in New England, in the Northeast, all the ski resorts. So this is great. It's supposed to not really get too warm anytime soon. That's good. Cause usually you have that January thaw. That's, that's what you got to watch out for, right? They usually abandon January, which... Yeah, that may happen, but as of now, we're looking good the next couple of weeks. So they'll be blowing the hell out of the mountains, and this snow is going to just create the perfect starter pack. Something happy, something positive. I'm trying to get there a couple times next week. I'm excited. So this is this is a great, beautiful storm. Well, so we've covered it before, but when you get that much snow, what happens is it helps preserve any snow you blow because everything around it is cold, right? So it's not like blowing snow on a mountain you're like oh no you have the temperature you know is below well the earth still maintains a certain temperature so having that layer of snow on everything helps like immensely and i work with uh i work with another consultant who actually lives outside of sugarbush and he's like in in the middle of nowhere and he said he's like oh this is great he's like you don't want to ski on the powder day today because there's no base he's like you're hitting rock you're hitting you're going right through yeah. he's like but this is gonna be great in like two three days when they get everything ready and then more snow still you know goes on top so exactly. it'll be exactly 
got to get that nice base, which is you, good. You know, people were super eager to get there on Thursday, but yeah, that's no, I'd rather them just use that as the base. And then when the next storm falls, drops three, four inches, it'll be yeah. dynamite. You know, some people probably went out there like, oh, powder day. And they went and they just got fresh grapes because oh, it's course. just go right through the powder onto the rock. It's cool. Hey, you look at the, you look at the map and it's showing where the, the heaviest spots were. It's pretty much all the Poconos all the Alleghenies, all the Catskills into the um, Adirondacks and then into the lower Green Mountains. Like it, it hit all the highest hit areas where were all the mountainous spots were. I mean, this is just, it was a perfect storm, a literal perfect winter storm. I wonder how Jay Peak fared in this. No, they didn't really get that much. If you look yeah, at the map, they were, they got, they were in the, uh, the lighter, the lightest denomination of snow. Hmm. they get plenty don't worry this this was for the uh this is kind of like uh we're helping the little guy out storm you know the places that 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 tend to struggle a bit and usually end up on the southern part of that snow line your indie pass locations got helped just saying Uh, magic got it pretty nicely shawnee got it nicely time to start looking at indie pass and saying hey you know they just got a nice dumping Couple spots on the Indy Pass did very well. Yeah. Yeah. So this was a great storm. I can't wait to take advantage of it next week. I'm off all next week. So I'm going to get at least one or two days in. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. You definitely got to get a car. All right. Up next. So we're talking about skiing. We're talking about going and and doing trips. Brian and I were talking off offline about this. I had to cancel my trip to Valtorens this year because place isn't going to be open again. The COVID monster reared its head. I have alternate plans, but looking into a lot of places, you know, the whole reservation system is tough when you're traveling, right? So this story now, uh, Vail Resorts cancels some guest reservations at Breckenridge. They're saying additional capacity restrictions and limited open terrain are causing headaches at ski areas across Summit County, leading to canceled reservations at Breckenridge Ski Resorts this weekend. So this was in- last week. So this is for the past weekend of December 12th to 13th. Yeah. The 13th. Yeah. So they announced cancellations in a letter that notified employees their passes would not be valid this weekend at Beaver Creek, Breckenridge, Keystone, or Vail. And it, infer- it informed workers about challenging conditions and limited availability to open terrain to accommodate a- the number of guests planned for the weekend. I-, I guess this is really, you know, they say the headline says canceled some guest reservations, but they're saying it really hit the employees worse. Employees were not required to use the system, but they actually implemented a restriction on number of employees that could ski. So ski and board. Well, if you're an employee, like, wouldn't it suck? I mean, wouldn't you not want to ski on the weekends? Like, wouldn't you just try to like see, get all your days during the week and then work on the weekends? It depends on your day off though. If you're working, you know, five, six days and now all of a sudden you got two days and they fall on the weekend. You're like, I can't even use is the benefit of why I do this. Like, this is why I'm a lifty. This is why I work at the resort, you know? Yeah. So pretty interesting. I wonder when this is going to hit, like, I'm afraid that this is going to hit people that actually book. So again, going back to my whole planned vacation, personally, I started looking into stuff like this. And the one thing that kind of steered me away from actually booking anything, going to some of these places, maybe by state, maybe by resort, I don't want to get into that, was the fact that 
I don't want to pay to fly, stay in a hotel, rent a car, to be in a resort town and say, oh, you can't go skiing today. You know, it's tough. That's that's a very big ask for people to put themselves out online and then go to a resort and say, I hope I get a ski ticket. I hope the, the skiers are looking at that, the resort. If somebody's staying there, okay, you know, maybe give them priority, but... You know, I know locals have a different opinion, like locals should get the priority. So it's going to be a constant battle. But I just think in the in the end, if you want to cater to the locals and, and you have the ability to do that, then that's good. But I don't see for somebody like me booking a vacation to go somewhere and not be able to ski. Like that's, that would that's sort of off. what these resorts are going to have to juggle with this year is determining yeah who's who's more important is it your locals right. is it your employees is it the people who are you know probably traveling a distance paying good money to to make right. that vacation I, that's that's a tough decision man if i i wouldn't want to yeah. be in charge of a resort having to decide that because it's almost like that uh what's that some sort of paradox they call it where they talk about having a self-driving car and if you have the choice of hitting a baby carriage or an old person, you have to choose to hit yeah. one of them. There's some sort of paradox. It's this yeah. is a much a less important, lighter way. The same sort of thing. Like, because yeah. again, these resorts too, Vail is a public traded company. They have a fiduciary obligation to make the most money for their shareholders. So if that means screwing over their employees, screwing over locals, that's what they're supposed to do. I don't Who's know. That kind of sucks. Right. It sucks. Yeah. I mean, think about it. like, so I'm coming from the point of view of as a traveler going to a resort, like I want to be guaranteed of stuff or I'm not going to book there. And that's my right. Right now. I understand them as a fiduciary. They'd probably be like, well, we're getting the most money out of somebody like me going there. But how do I know? There's no guarantee in the rules or anything like that. And then, you know, how do they know they're going to get the people to come? So if they limit you know, it's this whole thing about limiting capacity, you limit hotel space, then you limit you know, capacity on the mountain, but then there's a lot of capacity on the mountain that doesn't take up hotel space. It's a slippery slope. And I tell you what, every resort is probably driving themselves crazy, trying to figure out a, a right formula and do the right thing. So I would imagine this isn't the first uh, story we're going to hear this season about just choices or, or stuff like decisions that have to be made. And you know what? As an employee of Vail, aren't you kind of expecting to be screwed anyway? You know, you're getting your pass. You're you're getting a lot of perks that most other people don't get with their job. You're kind of going to have to expect to get screwed in some ways. Well, I wonder, will this drive up the amount that people want to get paid, right? So now if they offer jobs paying what they pay, are people going to say, look, I'm not guaranteed to ski. I want to make more money it might backfire on them saying, well, you know, now you can't get people to work for that money because number one, COVID's limiting how much space you can get on the mountain and it's limiting also like housing. That's, that's the other thing that we've talked about before, but there's a lot of, a lot of things at play here. It's really a crazy season. It, it sucks to have to make the decision and it's, there's definitely going to be stories of people getting screwed over. And like you said, this is not going to be the the last time we hear about this. So we'll just have to see how it all plays out because hope and pray and pray That's all we can do. You know, I tell you what, this also makes me realize how great we had it. We had it so great before COVID. 
You can go out. You had ability to do so many things. Like now the story is going to be like, I remember when we used to be able to go out and go to Après Ski and hang out, dance on the tables and drink and party and do whatever we wanted to do. And now it's, it's going to be different in life. We'll get back you know. there. Um, it'll it'll get back to more normal, I think, by next year. But I, I'm really hoping that we can just call this the asterisk year, where it's just this was a, a unique time, and you know we've gotten back to to more normal after this. We're all starting to realize what our priorities are, what's important to us after having to lock down and sacrifice and not do the things that we love so much. And I think we're I think we really need to figure out, you know, how do we live our lives that we're in doing the things we enjoy more and not doing the things that we don't enjoy less yeah. where possible. I think that's super important. Like hanging out with your little boy, hanging out, going to a big, big snow just to get some days in. That's great. You know? Yeah. Not going to meetings and just wasting time commuting. Like all that stuff is nonsense. And if we can cut more of that out of our lives and ski more, that's how we should be living. Boom. Next up, to wear their masks, the beards, and the tradition had to go. This is from the New York Times. Members of ski patrols nationwide are known for their beards, but many have shaved them to wear masks in the pandemic, causing good-natured angst. Damn. It's an interesting story. Most of the ski patrol in out in Colorado, they have had to shave their beards so that they could be properly wearing their N95 respirator masks during this pandemic. Of his crew... So they operate 47 of the resort's 56 patrollers. The vast majority of them had beards for the A-Basin ski patrollers. And he said, you could tell people they're not getting a merit increase and that you're, they're cutting their ski privileges. It's not as bad as telling them they have to shave. <laughs> they said the whole beard thing is ingrained in our culture. And with you know the requirement this year, they fit much better without facial hair. You have to have yeah. a tight seal. Facial hair will interfere with that and put the uh, ski patroller at risk. So it talks about a few different patrollers in here. And they talked to Hunter Mortensen, a Breckenridge ski patroller. He shaved for the first time in 10 years. Wow. He said it was like jumping in a cold lake, feeling the first time the wind blew. <laughs> like, damn, it's cold out here, right? And then another... Another patroller, Ryan Deneen, has not owned a razor since 2005 and whose wife has never seen him without a beard. He oh, agreed that God. hearing about the new shaving protocol was jarring. The knee-jerk reaction was, how dare you? This is who I am. He said, I might have to FaceTime with my dad so he can reteach me how to use a razor. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Dude, yeah. so let me ask you a personal question. So you've had facial hair since Benjamin's been a little boy, right? I go back and forth right now. I'm about, go back and forth. this is probably about three weeks of growth, maybe two weeks, two, right. two three weeks of growth. Yeah. So I have a friend I used to work with who had a, a mustache always. Right. And he decided one time to, to shave it. And he didn't realize what, before he shaved it, he didn't realize his kids never saw him without a mustache. They freaked out. They thought it was like a stranger in the house. Oh, really? Without yet, it freaked them out. They were like, the kids are crying and shit like that. The most like having to calm them down. Like you need to grow it back because they they freaked them out. Oh wow! I never thought about that until he 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 told us that story. I was like, wow, that's yeah. You know, your kids are like, there's a stranger in my house. Yeah, they don't know. That's funny. 
few other stories in here. Rick Hamlin, a national ski patrol historian who has covered Vermont Smuggler's Notch for 48 years and has rocked a bushy mustache since 1979. The prospect Damn. of shaving is something he is willing to put up with in order to continue to do what he loves. And another patroller. This is hilarious. Mike O'Hare, a ski patrol supervisor at Killington, Vermont, recently shaved the beard he had sported for nearly 30 years. We have a few patrollers whose beards are older than some of their co-workers, he said. Jeez. <laughs> After the initial shock of learning the new shaving protocol, most patrollers understood it's a small step to take to help ensure the safety of ourselves, our families, our company, and the community as a whole. I'm just saying as like a first responder, a rescue person, like a patroller, wouldn't you be concerned, like, if you're giving mouth-to-mouth, like, somebody, like, you're doing emergency procedures on somebody, like, giving mouth-to-mouth, like, you can have, like, food in your beard or not be able to be able to get a seal. Like, I don't know. Is there an issue with that? I wonder how many patrollers actually have to give mouth-to-mouth. I'm sure. I'm sure it happens occasionally, but I don't know if that's something that's frequent yeah. enough. Get some clam chowder in your beard, dude. <laughs> it's more mouth-to-beard is what mouth-to-beard. it is. Yeah, mouth, to beard. Beard to mouth, mouth to beard, whatever you, whatever you want to call it. It seems a little strange. Mouth that sucks. I mean, that's, that sucks. <laughs> they have to, to wear the N95s. I mean, maybe it's good. I know, like I said, this week yeah. at Big Sky, I had to wear a mask the whole time because it was indoors and pulling around my son, who's probably with ski gear on 50 pounds, you know, holding him back, pushing him around, getting him going, you get, getting you yoked. Sucked. Yeah, seriously. It's, Forget cross training. Forget CrossFit. Just take a fifty-year. It's like a fifty-eight-pound kettlebell, pretty much. You're you're throwing around this kid. It sucks. Those neoprene ones, like you just can't. You you're trying to get more oxygen in, and it's just not letting you. See the N95s, you breathe well, but they say like the valve on there, right? The uh, the filter or the respirator. It lets you expel more than you, you like it protects you breathing in, but it, you expel more stuff. So that's why like they don't allow them on airplanes or something supposedly, but cause those are made for, if you're around stuff, it protects you. The mass or a lot of the protection is to protect other people. If you're expelling like water droplets, you know, coughing and stuff like that. So right. now as we like talked if, about how the, the certain kind of last week, the buffs actually what did it say it did it like aerated them or it, it yeah. minimized the size of the crystal so you're almost putting it through a filter that makes it smaller and easier yeah. to get into other people's it's just mouth. worse and we'll see i think we should all go in spacesuits and just walk around well that was actually you know kind of on the same topic and i wanted to post this on instagram and i definitely will tomorrow uh free skier magazine this week actually had a really awesome article about the five kinds of skiers that we're going to see this year in the pandemic. They have the freedom fighter skier the guy who's like not going to do anything. Um, you have the, uh, there you go. You're agoraphobic germaphobe. That's nice. in the bubble. Dude, those are the guys with the visor, you know, the helmet with the visor on top gun visor. Gun. Those are cool. The extra woke guy. <laughs> the woke. That guy with the jewels, the, the unaware Chad. And then you have the the bee like this human skier. He does everything right and is very courteous. So I'll post a picture of this on Instagram. If you guys want to check it out, Instagram.com slash ski bum podcast. It was an awesome article in Free Skier about that. That's pretty cool. Different kinds of people you're going to see out there. Oh, yeah. Uh, They're out what, there. Brian and I always talk about the idea of your tiat. 
I mean, yacht to Europe. Well, yacht, yacht to Europe, depending on where you're starting. It's a I vicious, need, a beautiful cycle, not a vicious one. I know. I think what we need, we're trying to figure out how it works, but I think how it works is you got to have a yacht with a helicopter on it and then take you to the yurt on the top of the mountain. I think that would work. I think logistically it's kind of an extension of the yacht, but you're in the helicopter, right? Like, well, the kind of well, the yacht is the constant. You're always going back to your yacht, but you're going to different yurts, right? Yes. There you go. So the, the constant is the yacht. The yacht moves around, but you go to different yurts. The beauty of it, you get the copter and you just, you go up to the yurt while the, while the yacht is still moving. And then you just go back to the yacht when you're done hanging out the yurt, like skiing isn't, and hanging out the yurt. Isn't the thing, isn't it yoke, the, uh, the controller on a helicopter? Yes, the yoke. Yacht to yoke to yurt. Yacht to yoke to yurt. Walk to yoke to yurt. Three wise. All right, so now this this story is great. Uh, you can now book this super yacht to go heli skiing on volcanoes for one point two million dollars per week. So <laughs> it sounds messed up. One point two million dollars per week. That's kind well, of. I can only go three weeks a year, and that's bullshit. I, I know. Like, so am I? I may have to cut down from ten weeks a year to like five, maybe. I, I don't know. Goddamn COVID. Oleg Tinkov, a Russian billionaire, is offering his brand new 77 meter. What's that in U.S. terms? Times three, isn't it? About not quite. We did this last. We did. We discussed yacht yards versus meters recently. Uh, so it's 252 feet. That's a big freaking yacht. That Holy is like crap. it was created by a Dutch shipbuilder, Damon yachting and it's a so-called expedition yacht that can be self-sufficient for 40 days without docking which is pretty awesome and has a strengthened ice class hull and a crew of 25 how big was the titanic i think maybe a little bit bigger than this everybody's small <laughs> back then like and we, it did like not have a re- the titanic did not have a reinforced ice hull either as we all learned from the movie <laughs> As we all know, um, but you know, it's funny. Like you think about people, you think about the Titanic, like people were smaller back then. We're just little humans. Now we've just got bigger. The steroids, like we're just huge breeding. Like it's just. The Titanic was 882 feet long. So I, way bigger. That's not too much. Well, that's the, what's Four the biggest, set. what's the biggest carnival cruise line ship? I bet you it's gigantic. <laughs> The Royal Caribbean, like the Empress of the Sea or whatever, the thing is like 12,000 meters long. Hey, you're talking about huge because we're big people and we have buffets now. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have all you can eat chicken nuggets on the Titanic. <laughs> they had a proper meal where you're sitting down eating. Now it's like, come on, I just filled up the trough. Everybody come out. Just get get a little bit bigger. Fill up the trough. Here's <laughs> your, your bucket of slop. Dude, I was eating, I was taking burger patties and slapping them on the sides of pizza and eating them when I was on my, the time I went on a cruise. Dude, the, cruise, the problem with the cruise is you come back to reality. Like, I got to cook my meals. There's no midnight buffet. <laughs> like, I got, you, come, you come back pissed. And I got the beat us. So Damn. there's so many articles online about the Titanic versus other other seafaring vessels of the current age. It's not even close. The, the, the Titanic was 882 feet long. The Symphony of the Seas is 1184 feet long. So almost God. another 40% in length. God. 
Damn. And the width. So the best thing is the width. The Titanic was 92 feet. This one is 215. <laughs> it's more than double the width. Gigantic pad. And the height wow. is the Titanic's height was 175 feet. Symphony of the Seas, 238. It's just dwarfing just monstrosities. Yeah. So that's like the little ship that gets pulled by the big ship. The Titanic it's is the little boat. ship. Pulled. It's a little, the tugboat. That's it. Yeah. yeah. All right. So this yacht also houses a submarine, multiple ski jets, landing craft, snowmobiles, and a hangar for not one, but two helicopters. Like, that's baller AF, man. Is that awesome. a submarine? It's a freaking submarine. I don't know what you're doing in that submarine. Like, I just want to ski some pow. So the two I'm helicopters just, are like, I'm seriously hoping that they have someone who knows how to drive the submarine. That seems like the biggest problem. Because like be Russian, like Russian defector that knows how to drive a submarine. There's no papers. There's no certification, but I am licensed from Kiev school of submarine driving. <laughs> it's like, so isn't Kiev amazing. landlocked? Eh, not the problem. You know, we have simulator to drive submarine. My Shit friend name. has swimming pool. I learned in swimming pool how to drive submarine. Uh, well, we're going to get some hate mail from that one. <laughs> We love Putin. We love the Russians. You guys are wonderful. Hey, if you like to ski or play hockey, you're our people. Dude, I want to still to this day, I want to see Putin get checked in his annual game with the ex-pros. I want to see somebody just board him right up against the board. Awesome. Like just shatter him. He's just too good. He's lightning fast. He has un- an unbelievable shot. He's always putting up eight goals a game at 67 years old. He's incredible. The best is where he tripped over the carpet. Somebody put it down. It's like everyone's like, oh shit, who's supposed to do that? The guy who laid out the carpet? Haven't heard from him since. Yeah, not not found. In the gulag. <laughs> All right. The ship named La Dacha is set to sail from Rush Russia's Kamchata. You know how I know Kamchata? If you ever play Risk, Kamchata is one of the key places. So it's the Russia's Kamchatka Peninsula and Kuril Islands between April and June 2021. So the yacht can comfortably accommodate 12 guests. (laughs) So So 1.2 million, 12 guests. So this thing is 200 feet. A person. There's 25 crew (laughs) and 12 guests. (laughs) So you have more crew than guests. That's pretty. And you know, the crew is in like, because I watch that below deck thing every once in a while. They're in like the tiniest little cabins. And like, I'm sure they have these sprawling areas for like these guests to hang out in. I'm like, well, it's that's a, pretty cool. It is comfortably fits 12. Or comfortably sleep 12. If I'm you go okay, over that. I'm okay with some people being uncomfortable. Now, I wonder, uh, is it possible to kind of hook up with some pirates and have them kind of take over the boat, but they're actually working with us, so it becomes our boat? Oh, <laughs> well, if you're in international waters, you can just take it over, right? Why not? Yeah, you know, if you sneak on the stuff that you need to take over the but I bet you, you know, a lot of these boats and super yachts, they have stuff to like get rid of pirates. They have the sound thing. That's so yeah. awesome. I want yeah, we did it. If you guys know some pirates that we could coordinate with to take over this yacht, allegedly, perhaps. <laughs> the expedition yacht. Yeah. I'm the you just want to be able to look at somebody like I'm the captain now. That's all I want to say. And I want you it videotaped. Yeah. Even if you get shot like two seconds after. How do you say I'm the captain now in Russian? <laughs> Don't need to figure out. I'm going to look into this. I might book a reservation. 
Hey, if we need 10 more people, ski podcast at gmail.com. Maybe we can coordinate, make this happen once in a lifetime opportunity. This, this is going out. I know there's a millions of people listening to us right now, but if you're listening, Oleg Tinkov, we just want to let you know, we will be the first ones to test that ship out for you. If you want. Oleg, you may be a Russian billionaire. I am an American thousandaire. Maybe we can do some sort of synergy. We can interview you, have you on the podcast. Just share your boat. We might have Homeland Security like take away computers, but I'm going to reach out. (laughs) Worth it. To be on that boat maybe for a week might be worth it. Dude, I would. I'd live that life. Why not? Hang out. Go off the grid. Go off the American grid. You're on the Russian grid. I don't know. (laughs) Hey, man. They They may pardon Snowden. Maybe we can get a pardon eventually down the road too. That's right. Right. That's right. Maybe we'll see. Those hope, keep hope alive. And I we have, won't have to worry about getting a lift ticket on that boat. <laughs> yeah. Right. We got one final story and this one's kind of a bummer. Just saw this one in the latest article from our buddy, Matt at the Boston globe, Matt Pepin. He put out his, it's all downhill newsletter this week. And I totally missed this. I don't know how, but our friend John Egan actually got let go as chief recreation officer at Sugarbush after 25 years. This is actually really big news because he's pretty much a staple at Sugarbush. You know, he's he's the guy. I mean, he's one of the top skiers of all time. Yeah. U.S. Skiing Hall of Fame, Warren Miller movies, everything. He's he posted a blog post on his website thanking the sugar bush community and just talking about, you know, it's the community that makes the mountain. It's really a, a bummer kind of article because it talked about how it went down a coworker. He got the uh, promoted to the new president position and he uh, ended up getting laid off in October, they said they eliminated his positions. It was no longer needed. Terminated with no pay, no benefits, no health insurance, and no severance package. Yeah. yeah. To a guy who's been kind of the face of Sugarbush for 40 years now. Yeah. I don't think it's a coincidence that Sugarbush sold to Icon to Altera last year. Mm-hmm. And again, Altera you know, they're, they're in this to make money for Altera and having a John Egan as the chief recreation officer of Sugarbush on paper probably doesn't have the value to them. That saving. I have no idea what his salary was. I'm sure it was decent. Probably not amazing. Probably pretty decent though. That doesn't mean that much to them. You know, he, he's not right. 25. He's not, young face maybe they want for for one of their resorts but this is gross and dark and yeah again something that we're probably going to see more of with this duopoly we have with Vale and altera taking over these resorts you know people well, who- that me about this article though is you know he mentions about other people and i wonder if it does apply to him where he worked there because he loved it, right? Not, not for money. So when you talk about fair compensation, was he fairly compensated for the amount of notoriety, press, everything he brought to Sugarbush throughout the years? Probably not, right? Because he just loved the place and, and did that. Mm-hmm. And now they come in and they say, well, we're paying this guy. Why are we paying this guy? Well, 
I guess you're done with him because Sugar Pizza has been built up to a certain status because he's been there. You know, I mean, it's sad and it's it's you wonder if there's a little bit of uh, the new company that came in, took advantage, you know, of of the notoriety and the sweat and the blood and the tears that somebody else put in and said, ah, see you later. You know, thanks for helping build this into a, a nice piece of market for us, but we don't need you anymore. See you and, later. And, 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 you know, John Egan is one of those guys that he can probably go anywhere and get right. hired by one of these big resorts. And I, yeah. I, I love that he says this right here. He goes, after over 40 years and five owners, I thought the unique value I have added around the Sugarbush brand, culture, and leadership was widely understood. Therefore, mm-hmm. I deeply considered how best to propose a future role for myself. Because they actually made him they're like, well, why don't you write us a proposal of what you, what you could do or what you should do? Mm-hmm. And he's just like, why should I have to do this? Like, hasn't my body of work and what I've done over this time been enough? Like, what do you want from me? Well, that's just it. They, they ask you now after you've been there, what he's been there since what? 76. Yeah. So for how many years, like how, what, uh, 76 to now is 70, 44 years, 44 years. You've made this place what it is. So now we're going to ask you now what you could bring to the table. I brought it to what it is today. It's kind of a slap in the face to ask that. It's just, it's, it's a, a shitty. huge slap in the face. You're absolutely right. Yeah. It's just, just plain out crappy to do to somebody. Mm-hmm. They could have done a lot of other things with their life, but they put it into being at Sugarbush. So whenever I see changing of the guard, I look at how they treat the people that made the place. And this is, goes for a company, ski resort, for for brand anything i always look at did they really being true to what was what was given to them when they took over the reins right and i wonder this is a sign that maybe they're not treating it the way it should be treated after these people put their blood sweat and tears and their lives in into building it what it was i and i really think this is something that we're probably going to see more of with these this big conglomeration with altera fail buying up these resorts trying to put them into the mold they want to see it, not to let it be its own self, not to be its unique personality. And it's super unfortunate. But it also leads us perfectly into our main topic. Boom. Had a wonderful chat with Lindsay Delorier, who is the president of Bolton Valley. And for those who aren't familiar, Bolton Valley is located in central Vermont. It's just north of Sugarbush, where unfortunately our buddy John Egan got let go. It's actually right between, yeah, a big icon resort and a big epic resort at Stowe. Bolton's got a really unique story. It was actually founded by Lindsay's father back in 1966, Ralph Maybe Delorier. To go there. Well, it was cool that this the story of Bolton Valley is that Ralph Delorier founded it, had it as a family-run resort, sold it, and it kind of went downhill when it was sold and it was recently again purchased by the family and some investors. So now it has, it's, it's back on the upswing. A lot has to do because it is independent. It is family run. It's not trying to fit some sort of mold that some clown in an office in Colorado is trying to manifest and make across an entire country. It's got a very unique community driven spirit and vibe. 
And that's why it's it's having a big resurgence. It's also on the Indie Pass. So if you're an Indie Pass holder, like we've we've been promoting and pushing, it's a great place to visit. They have a great new introduction to the backcountry. The family is really involved and different members of the family have different roles at the mountain. So if you're trying to get away from an icon, epic, cookie cutter experience, you might want to check out Bolton Valley if you're on the East Coast. Had a great chat with Lindsay. We think you're going to really enjoy it. So here she is, Lindsay Delorier. All right. And we have a very special guest today. We have Lindsay Delorier, who is the president of Bolton Valley Resort. So Lindsay, thank you so much for joining us and welcome. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. So, fun. <laughs> so you guys finally opened up this past week? Finally. How did it go? Went well. I mean, you know, we truthfully, we struggled to get open even this past weekend. Temperatures have been so crazy warm all through November, but we were able to open with a couple lifts and, um, you know, we were ready with all the COVID guidelines and everything. It was really interesting. Actually, the, um, I've never seen the base lodge so desolate. <laughs> like, there was nobody in the cafeteria, which is crazy for us because our cafeteria is pretty small. There were, you know, lots of people outside and all around, but um, crickets in the cafeteria. So must have been a bit eerie, right? Seeing so many people and then no one going in there. It was totally weird. I mean, I was like, do people know that they are actually allowed in here or not? But I think people are just trying to stay outside and it was warm out. So, yeah. So. I think people are yeah, probably a little bit overly cautious to start. And then, you know, if things are going smoothly, then maybe they'll dip their toe and start jumping inside. And Yeah, I think so. And I think we'll see what happens when it's, you know, 10 below instead of 30 degrees. So. Oh, for sure. Right. That's going to be interesting to see. Yeah. <laughs> so what is your day to day like at Bolton in your uh, in your job? Well, you know, truthfully, I spend a lot of time in my office at my desk working and in meetings like any sort of business owner, I guess, probably. Um, but I also try to get out and walk around and put my eyes on everything and, you know, talk to people, talk to staff, talk to guests, see what's going on, get the vibe and the feeling. And um, yeah, but I will say, you know, actually doing this job definitely has a perk of, uh, I do actually get out a lot. Um, you know, I do manage to get out, uh, in the summertime on my bike and in the winter on my skis, um, a lot more than I used to. <laughs> hey, they're, they're way worse offices to have, right? Yeah. And I sit here, I know you can't see it from where you are, but I've, I sit here and I've got the big picture window of, you know, sort of this, the center of our little village circle here. So I can see what's going on and it's pretty fun. Well, right now, so I, I'm based in New Jersey and right now we are getting, it's a winter wonderland here. Like the snow just started and I think I'm just going to be moving up the coast and probably hitting you guys more tomorrow. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, I think everyone is starting to just really get into skiing and, and you know, because again, this season has been kind of questionable in terms of how things were going to be and how things were going to, you know, should we even go skiing? I mean, you saw, I mean, I'm sure you saw the articles too, where they're like, you shouldn't even bother skiing this year. Like it's, why are you doing this? You're being selfish. But as, as people who love the sport and feel like it's part of their soul, you can't tell us not to get out there. And I think, and hope, hope people are going to be a little bit smarter and follow the guidelines and, and make it, possible for all of us to have a season because i think that seems to all the people we've talked to over the last few weeks ski vermont ski new hampshire everyone just wants to have a season 
You know, yeah. it's not, it's, it may not be like last year, the year before, what we're used to, but if we can just adjust a little bit, we can all have a season. And that's what we're all, we've been dying for all summer and we've been thinking about. And uh, it seems like it, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. I mean, I believe it's going to happen. And, you know, I mean, the, the thing about skiing is it's outside, you know, and you like a lot of people, you know, especially when you're alpine skiing, you're wearing the neck gaiter, you know, or neck tube or whatever. So it's kind of like the perfect COVID sport. It's really safe. So I feel good about that for sure. Um, and I think people get that. I think people get that. And like you say, I mean, you know, we got to have it <laughs> for sure. Right. So re regarding Bolton, I know for, for skiers and boarders who, you know, are used to going to the big Epic and Icon resorts there in, in Vermont, how would you describe Bolton and what makes it unique? Um, well, Bolton, you know, I feel like at Bolton, we have everything you want, you know, but it's just cozier. Like, you know, we've got all the, we've got all the different parts and pieces. We've got the hotels and the restaurants, rental shop, you know, the, the mountain store, lots of different terrain, but it's everything you want. It's just cozier. Um, and, uh, and totally unpretentious also, you know, I would say like, you know, we're definitely not trying to be Disneyland up here. You know, it's not a totally curated experience from, you know, the, the moment you park your car till when you get back in, but we just, we love skiing and, um, you know, it's a place where you just, you get out and you have fun with your friends and your family and ski and just have a great time. But, and then, oh, and, and we also, we love a good opera. I should say we have, oh, there you go. We, think we have the best opry, you know, in Vermont for sure at the James. Wow. Yeah, no. And we say that's that, a bold statement. I hear you. I think there are a couple of other contenders, but battling for second place. Battling, who do I think is battling no, for second place? No, they're all battling for second place. Apparently. I think so. I think so. The James Moore Tavern is pretty special. <laughs> I love the bold claim. That is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I saw, I just got it in the mail yesterday. Free skier actually named you guys. And uh, they had a whole article based uh room to breathe. It was called. Yeah. And they were going over some of the resorts that are, you know, not the typical, you know, probably Epic and icon places that have, you know, a different feel to them. And that, you know, for, for hardcore skiers and boarders, or even people who just want to, who, who don't want that Disneyfication, like you kind of said, you guys were right there. First one on the list, which was pretty awesome to see. Yeah, I always I, I joke we're like we're the littlest of the bigs, you know, it's like you've got these really small ski areas that, you know, are really just a ski area. And then you've got sort of the resort experience and we are a resort, but we're like a little resort, you know, so yeah. we're, like, we're like the littlest of the bigs. So it's it's and it seems like based on everything that's happening with the, uh, you know, obviously COVID, the restrictions, the reservations, you guys seem like you're positioned in a pretty awesome spot right now based on, you know, being positively, you know, opti cautiously optimistic for the season based on what you guys have, like you described, where you're located and what you offer. Uh, so what big changes have you guys had to make for this season? Yeah, I mean, you're right in terms of our location being really advantageous this year. You know, the fact that we're located in Chittenden County, we're a real locals resort. Um, so as much as we, you know, have a, a lot of out-of-state business and, and care about it a lot and it's meaningful to us, 
Um, we also have a lot of local people who ski here. We're definitely the local spot. So that's a nice kind of, you know, protection in this COVID year. Um, but in terms of getting ready to operate under COVID, our biggest, you know, our biggest sort of drawback or the biggest thing we had to do was, was get ready to do everything pre-sale. So like last year was the first year that we had RFID ticketing gates. We moved to RFID ticketing just last year, which thank God we did that. Um, it would have been, this would have been much harder to navigate without it. And so we were sort of rushed into, or we made the decision to move quickly on taking sort of the next step with our IT evolution and to really focus on being able to have all of our guests buy as many of our resort services or really all of our resort services in advance. Because one of the things that we were really challenged with or we are challenged with is a small base lodge for the number of skiers we have. You know, when my dad built this place 50 years ago, he thought he was going to have like a thousand season pass holders, you know, so (laughs) it was a different size thing. So, you know, we are, we, you know, we, we have a small base lodge and, and, and so we, we struggled with lines and things like that. And we were still doing 70% of our ticket sales, for example, over the counter as of last year. And so wow, we were, 70%. Yeah. Yes. So we're behind the times, um, in that way. And so we've had to make a really strong pivot with it this year to really get out ahead of the arrival so that people are buying their lift tickets ahead of time. Um, you know, getting the rentals set up ahead of time, getting their lessons sent up, you know, set up and purchased ahead of time, all that stuff. So that was really like the biggest thing that we did. And then we did all the stuff that everybody else is doing, fire pits, heaters, you know, wind breaks, takeout windows, you know, all that kind of stuff that everybody that everybody is just doing in order to sort of support people being outside more than inside. And you guys are doing the uh, the cabanas too, right? Oh yeah, the cabanas. Yeah, thanks. So we took actually almost half of we have a we have a slopeside hotel up here, and actually we were renovating it this summer, so that kind of timed up okay for us. Um, so we did a pretty major renovation on the hotel, rather than opening our wholly renovated hotel. Given all the travel restrictions, we decided to just open half of it. Um, that and then as a kind of hedge against that, and also to create a little more base lodge space and another opportunity for some of our pass holders. We took half those rooms and we converted them into season long ski cabanas. So we've got season pass holders who are renting um, what was a hotel room and now is just fitted up as a super sweet living room with a mini fridge and a couch and everything. Um, and you've got your own private base lodge and we'll run food to you. And, and uh, so. Are you going to check on squatters? We are. Yeah. We have night security oh. that will do that. Yeah. So not saying you should, but if you were to squat, you got to be silent. If you, well, we also have access to your room after 10 PM. Mm. Yeah. So we can do room checks. So no squatters. Automatically, no squatting. I'm sure that'd be one of the first questions people were asking you when they said you were going to make half of your hotel into cabanas. <laughs> yeah. No squatting. No squatting. <laughs> Can't have it. That's right. You'll be evicted. You'll lose your pass, right? Yes, that's right. All kinds of very bad consequences. Forboten. Don't try me. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> so you meant, so kind of go back to the comment you made before. So you said when your dad built the place, 1966, he was visioning a thousand season passes. Yeah. What did you guys have this year? Like times seven. Wow. <laughs> that's pretty amazing. Yeah. 
And then, you know, we kind of talked about it before, you know, regarding the craziness, uh, you know, you guys uh, got the RFIDs installed last year. Is everything going to be um, online ahead of time now? Your reservations, uh, do you have to make reservations or is just buying your lift tickets in advance? So what we decided to do, I mean, everybody has had to come up with their own sort of solution to the capacity, you know, challenge and how they're going to manage overall capacity. For us, because we have such a strong connection to our local community and such a good season pass holder base, our goal is to honor the freedom of a season pass holder. So we really didn't want to create a reservations model where that restricted our season's pass holders from coming up. So we've made the decision to do basically two things to control capacity. One was we pulled our unrestricted season passes um, off the market at the end, at the beginning of November. So we stopped selling them. We decided we'd sold out. And then uh, that we moved to a blackout product. So we took basically the holidays off of our season passes at a certain point. So that will sort of naturally create you know, a smaller season pass crowd on the busiest, um, on the busiest days. And then our plan is to restrict the number of lift tickets that we sell. So we'll sell out. We've already sold last weekend. We sold out of lift tickets, for example. So, so, and, and yes, we're strongly encouraging people who know the days that they want to ski, you know, to go ahead and buy those in advance to make sure that you get a lift ticket. Cause, um, we do expect we'll sell out on, you know, on busier days. And, and that capacity will change. So like, you know, we sold out quickly this first weekend because we only had two lifts open. You know, once we get the whole mountain open, you know, then we'll have, you know, we'll have more lift tickets to sell. I was going to ask you that question because yeah, I figured it would be kind of crazy to be like, this is our number of tickets. And then, right. you know, based on the terrain, you can adjust it exactly. accordingly on how many you know, lift capacity. And I guess too, you probably can fine tune it say you have a certain number now you have two lifts open you go you know what the lines weren't that bad maybe we can raise it by a few because again this is all so new this whole operating paradigm that everyone and there's no ski vermont can, can't say do this everybody because every resort is so different and needs to find their own kind of groove to make it work yeah that's totally true yeah and that's exactly right we're sort of you know we're looking at the data that we have and making our sort of best guesses and setting a number and then, yeah, we'll adjust it, you know, as we, as we sort of learn and, and feel what it feels like and how crowded it is and so forth. So. And then speaking of passes, now you guys are on the Indy pass also. Yeah. Um, how do priority wise, how does that fall in? Um, is there any, like you said, there's no reservations, but is there any sort of priority like season pass holders, Indy pass, or is it just you're on your own, man, you're Indy, do what you got to do. Well, the indie pass holders are treated like season pass holders, so they don't have to oh, make. Yeah. Oh wow! Awesome. Spots. Yep. And how did you get involved with the indie pass? Well, you know, it's kind of funny, actually. Well, funny to us, anyway. We, when I first, so I, so we got back involved in 2017. So it's only really been a few years. We're going into our fourth winter, and um, so, anyways, we were, we were, we were part of the Freedom Pass before. And, you know, we've been, we were saying in some of our internal meetings, like, oh, you know, we need a pass that fits us better. You know, this is good, but it doesn't, it's not quite the right fit for us, but we're not, you know, like one of the big guys to fit on like the icon or something. So we're like, okay, we need a pass. And we were joking around. We were like, we need an indie pass. (laughs) (laughs) And then like six months later, a year later, we get this email from Greg Fish, uh, who created the indie pass, who um, he must have. Or Doug, I'm, that's what yeah. I meant. Yeah, what did I say? Said Greg. Greg oh, Doug. yeah, sorry. 
Sorry, Doug. Close enough. Yeah, Doug Fish. So we get an email from him, kind of like a phishing email, you know, like probably out to all a bunch of indie resorts he'd heard about or whatever saying, hey, there's this new pass and, you know, want to talk to you about it. And we laughed so hard because we had been talking about we needed an indie pass. Um, so we were an early adopter. We were actually the first skier in Vermont to join the indie pass. And it just really fit with us. And um, it 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 just felt like it felt like a good fit. And I liked his model and um, I liked his philosophy. And I, and I think what he did was really smart too, you know, sort of pairing up like the super small resorts that are sort of near the, you know, Metro centers and then, you know, blending it in with some independent resorts. So you've got like the little, you know, highway ski areas, that's your local resort, but then they're on the Indy pass. So then you build a connection with an independent, you know, groovy, kind of small, funky, you know, interesting, you know, unpretentious, full of character, you know, set of resorts. And, and for me, it was like, and I think he's getting, you know, he's going to continue to evolve and it's going to continue to get better. But I have this vision of the Indie Pass becoming this kind of curated list of really cool ski areas like Bolton Valley, where you know, you can get the resort experience, but it's small and it's groovy and it's personal. And it's like, you have, you have like an authentic experience, you know, you're actually going to like a ski area that is like about skiing and ski culture. And, and, um, so I think as he grows and evolves and refines his list, I, I think it's going to become more and more, even more than it is now, just a, a really cool list of sort of places you you definitely want to go to. So. Yeah. And, you know, we spoke to Doug a, a few months ago and was chatting with him e- exactly about that. And it's so cool the way, yeah, it's, it's grown. I mean, I think he said like past sales were up like 600 something percent this year yeah. and they keep adding. And you look at Vermont now, you got you guys, you got Magic and you got Jay. I mean, those are probably the three most fun places to ski in Vermont. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's it. I'll There's definitely one get some, missing. I'll There's get, one missing, but I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to I'll, talk. About I'll it. get some pushback. That's for sure. You know, people, you're making that statement, but those places, you know, I know Magic. Their whole slogan is, you know, the, keeping the soul in skiing, and you yeah. know, there's something to that. And uh, everyone I've talked to about that, it's, you know, myself, I did share houses at Mount Snow and Killington for for years and years and years, and you kind of get this attitude of, well, I ski there, I ski here, I ski there. And everything else, you kind of not look down on it, be like, well, I already go here, so I don't need to look at the other places. And over the last few years, you know, I'm getting my, my son who's three involved. And last year, we went to a bunch of the local resorts, you know, in New Jersey, in New York, in Connecticut. And you go to these little places, you know, again, family owned little places. And you realize, like, these are the places where people fall in love with skiing. Yeah. You know what? I mean, you can go to Vail. You can fall in love with skiing there, but you probably fall in love with a scene. You're not really falling in love with the sport itself, but you go to these little places, you see little kids getting that, you know, seeing their first snowcat or taking their first run by themselves and the the look in their eyes, the joy. That's, you're not going to have a veil, a Killington, you know, anything like that until you get these kids to fall in love at these little local places. Yeah. And I've been just rediscovering all these places and getting the Indy Pass. I'm super excited just to kind of bounce around and try all of them out. I'm going to, I'm already making plans to go to Shawnee in Pennsylvania in the Poconos because they're getting a foot and a half tomorrow. <laughs> um, take my son there. I, I, I can't wait to rediscover these places and kind of use him and look through his eyes, you know, kind of re-fall in love with the sport I already love. 
Yeah, totally. We went yesterday to Big Snow, actually, the indoor place at the um, the Meadowlands. And I mean, I hadn't skied with him since, you know, last year. And I got him out there. And of course, it was a disaster getting him in his little boots and parking <laughs> and traffic. Because it's a, it, have you been there yet? No, no. I've, but I've seen the pictures and stuff, you know, but I've never been to any indoor ski area. So it's an experience. I mean, the worst part of it is finding parking and knowing where to go because it's classic New Jersey. There's just not the right signs. You have no idea where to go. You're walking into a mall with your skis. It's, it's such a bizarre start. But then, but then, you know, we got in the locker room, I got him set up and then we went outside, well, inside, outside into the snow part. And I saw his face like completely change. He was like, Oh my God. And to see that look on his face, that like, got me so excited to, again, to take him to all these little places and get him out there again. He was doing a temper tantrum this morning. Cause he wouldn't eat his lunch. I said, Benjamin, you gotta be a good boy. Do you want to go skiing again? And his face lit up like <laughs> it's the coolest thing. So, yeah, awesome. uh, and again, these indie places, these smaller places, these family run places are the reason why we have the industry. So yeah. I love this Indie Pass. Like we're psyched that you guys are part of it. We're psyched to get any of the resorts. We're ha- we talked to um, Tom from Oprah Gatlinburg down in Tennessee. They're on the Indie Pass too. Yeah. Like it's it's going to be great for all of the resorts on it to again get a whole new clientele. You, you guys have your season pass holders, but now this is going to open it up to to new people who are going to be able to discover your resort. Which I'm excited for you guys. I'm excited for every resort on there, and we're doing everything we can to promote Indie Pass and all the resorts on it. That's cool. Thanks. <laughs> Our pleasure. And also too, you guys have your Bolton backcountry. Yeah, um, really. That's, is that been, is that's been since you guys retook it over or has that always been in place? No, no, that's my brother Adam's, you know, project. Um, I mean, the, the Bolton backcountry itself has been here, but in terms of developing a guide program, and, you know, all the pieces that go with it, we actually have a rental fleet of um, backcountry equipment and gear, you know, uh, DinaFit, uh, skis and Burton split boards. And, uh, and even this year, actually, we expanded it and we have season long rentals for backcountry gear even. Did you guys so, sell out though? Yeah. Yes. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. But you can still do the day rentals. You know, we've got plenty of day rentals and stuff and then the guide program. So all of that is new uh, with my brother, Adam. And it's pretty cool. Yeah. And then how do you, um, do you have to make reservations to do that? Yep. I mean, you might, you know, you might be able to walk in and he might be able to hook it up and pull it together for you, but you know, it's definitely better to hire a guide in advance. Yeah. Okay. And then walk in and get rentals. That's fine. Okay. But if you want a guide, you should go online and and sign up ahead of time. Yep. And then they are, they do uh, intro clinics on the weekends and, um, you know, you can sign up for those too. And I, my guess is that probably most weekends you could wander in and, and jump in on an intro clinic. But again, I mean, especially in a year like this with COVID, it's just always best to reserve your spot, you know, and, and, and plan ahead for sure. Yeah. I know you guys hosted that media event back in February with Ski Vermont and I'm, I, I was going to go and then I, I went on a trip actually out to Ellicottville, New York instead the weekend <laughs> before and couldn't make it back for that. And I've been kicking myself because we, missed out. we had such a good ski that day. Yeah. We did the trap trail yeah. and it was like, we had fresh snow. We had like just fresh powder turns. I mean, it was like, it was an ep- epic banner, wonderful, awesome day. So. I know. I'm still kicking myself and now I'm kicking myself harder, Lindsay. So thank you. <laughs> we'll get you out next time. Oh, it's 100%. like you know, two star arm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Seriously. So now your family, 
you guys are like skiing royalty, pretty much. You know, your father founding, your brothers being in the ski films. Have you always connected skiing with family? I Oh, yeah. I mean, yes, we, you know, we are a ski family. Like that's, that's what we are. It's our native ground. <laughs> Do you even remember when you learned how to, did you even like remember when you learned how to ski or was it just something you just have always done since you've existed? It's something I've always done. Yeah. I mean, I don't remember learning to walk and I don't remember learning to ski. You know, skis just feel right. They're natural to us. That's so cool. <laughs> and did you guys have any, uh, any crazy sibling rivalries when you were growing up? No, can talk about? Really. no, definitely. I mean, my, my older brothers, Eric and Rob, they're the two that you're thinking of in the movies and Adam also, you know, they were always, I mean, they're a lot older than I am, but you know, I, they've, they've always been best friends and they still are best friends. And I think, you know, they just love to ski together. Um, and, uh, I think it was Eric who went out, he was out in Tahoe and sort of like got discovered or whatever. And, you know, just called up Rob was like, get out here. This is cool opportunity. Like one, we're in a, we're going to be in a Warren Miller film or whatever, you know, and they've just always been best friends. And then when my brother, Adam, who's like eight or nine years younger than they are, got out of college and wanted to ski. I mean, it was just, you know, he just went out and jumped in with them and stuff. So we've always been, we're really lucky. We've always been a really close family. In fact, I live on the same street with two of my brothers right now and just up the street from our parents and stuff. So. And all here at the ski area, you know, we're all ski and ski out. So it's so cool too, because again, you're, you're the one running the day to day. You know, you said your brother, Adam is the one uh, doing the backcountry clinics. Like you all kind of like find your own little niches and you know, it makes the place special. And you know, like you mentioned too, you guys you know, sold it and then you got it back. And it seemed like just reading some of the articles, it seemed like it had, you know, it waned a bit when you guys weren't in control, you know, when you sure. put someone who doesn't have the passion to, to have that you know, connection to it, it's easy to just be a numbers person and go, ah, this doesn't work. Let's scratch this. Let's change this. But when you have a community that people that you know, and have known for decades and you want to make sure they're happy and that their families are happy and that they spread the word, you know, it, it completely changes the personality of a resort. It kind of sterilizes it if you don't have that. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, for us, you know, this place is, is home. Um, and I totally agree, you know, like it, it, for this place to work and, and probably for any little ski area, you know, that's independently operated to work, it's just gotta be your, your total life. But I got to credit my little brother, Evan, um, and my dad with getting it back. It was really their passion project. And they really, they really brought it back to the family. Um, and, and were motivated to, to, to make it really happen. And then sort of scooped us all in, scooped us all back into it. Just like the Godfather, right? Yeah. <laughs> they thought you were out, they pulled you back in. Yeah. Well, we never really wanted to be out. We've always, I think we've always missed it. You know, it was, it's a total homecoming. The first year after, um, you know, we bought the ski area back from uh, Larry and Doug, who had owned it and run it before. I remember like, and then we all sort of moved back on the hill too. My parents had always lived up here. So we'd always stayed really connected to it, but, but, you know, we weren't living on the hill. And um, so we all kind of moved back to the hill and, you know, bought houses up here. We're like, okay, this is it. And like walking around for the first year, it was so surreal. I was like, how is it that like, we're totally, you know, back here, back in our childhood and these things that we grew up with, um, you know, and then we had to sort of let go of them and, and now they're back and they're back in the center of our lives and, and it's up to us to take care of them. And 
fix the place up and imagine the future for Bolton Valley and for our kids now. And it was like, it was so weird. It's, it's, it has stopped feeling like a dream to that degree. Like I, I, I acknowledge that I'm probably not in a coma and I'm probably actually awake and this really is my life, but it's, it's still like just unbelievably cool. <laughs> yeah. And I know, you know, COVID has probably put a, you know, a, a wrench into plans and stuff, but do you have any sort of like, you know, vision for the next couple of years, what you guys are looking to do there? Oh, yes. Yes, we do have a vision. We've been, um, you know, one of the first things we're doing is really thinking about four seasons. So when we grew up and my dad was running the place, you know, this place was vibrant in the summer, as vibrant in the summer as it was in the winter. And then that sort of fell off. And that's something that we're really focused on bringing back. And for us, you know, back then it was like tennis. We had a really robust tennis program and a really cool tennis pro. And we all grew up playing tennis too. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and we had like, you know, eight outdoor tennis courts and two indoor tennis courts. And, and that was the thing back then, you know, that was a different time. And now, you know, our future is, is really going to, in the summer is really going to center around mountain biking. So we're oh, awesome. totally focused on mountain biking here and, um, and we're actually working with gravity logic. So I'll give you that little nugget. Oh, very cool. I love, I love mountain biking. And, um, and then my little brother, Evan is like, a, a, you know, he's just super into disc golf. And so, uh, he's put in an 18 hole disc golf course. And then last year we added a nine hole sort of quick course. Um, and he's just got a vision for that. So you know, between those two activities, um, and then some expansion projects. And like I was saying, we renovated the hotel and we've been doing some renovations to the base lodge. Um, you know, we're looking at, uh, expanding group business. So really trying to cater to corporate groups and weddings. Um, and so our focus is on summer. And, and then, uh, as we look beyond to the future, we've got a lot of, we're doing a lot of research right now on, you know, how we want to improve the underlying infrastructure of the ski area, everything from like drinking water to snowmaking um, to, you know, thinking about the future of night skiing and where we can go with that. So we've got a long, we've got a lot of plans um, and uh, yeah, we'll be working at, we'll be working at this place for many years to come. Yeah. The never, the never ending project, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, have you guys done anything recently in terms of snowmaking, increased your capacity or your uh, technology? Yeah. In the last few years, one, the biggest thing that we've done is we've gotten off diesel and we've moved to oh, awesome. an electric system. So that's been really cool. Um, and uh, we've expanded our, the capacity for our air pressure so that we've been able to move, you know, move more water on the hill. Um, but as far as like a major overhaul, that's a, that's a multi-year undertaking, but, but we're, we're starting to try to figure out, I mean, it's sort of like, we're not even starting to walk down that expansion road. We're trying, we're, we're trying to sort of chart the path right now. We're trying to figure out what the right, you know, what is the right development plan for that so that we can begin to pursue it. And we've been talking to, um, some, you know, some of the regulatory agencies and, and we're starting to, to starting to hone in on a plan for that, but it's, it's in our sights in terms of, you know, trying to focus on a major expansion. And I guess that's where you could probably lean on some of the bigger resorts who have the bigger paycheck pay, you know, wallets that they can go, 
invest in these new technologies and hopefully if they work and they, you know, they can test it out yeah. and then see it works and you guys can kind of jump in and be like, okay, this makes sense. Costs maybe have come down. Now we can go and, and purchase this, this iteration of the product. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, definitely we we benefit from what the other bigger ski areas do first, and and not just in in that sense, but certainly you know in terms of you know they forge the way for the new technology, but but also just you know luckily the ski industry, at least in Vermont, I mean, I guess you know more broadly speaking, I don't know, but I imagine it's the same in other states. Um, you know, we're a pretty tight knit community, actually. You know, it's uh, we're we're right now with the COVID winter, all the GMs are on a call once a week, you know, sort of, okay, well, what's happening at your place and how did that go? And what are you doing? And let's be on the same page. And, you know, I feel like I can call up pretty much any other GM or president of a, of a, of a ski area in Vermont and, and ask them for advice. And, you know, how did this work for you? And what do you think I should do? And who did you talk to? And who should I talk to? And so there's a lot of support to be had in Vermont and, you know, there's, it's competitive, I guess, but it's really collegial. Yeah, everyone's kind of in the same boat, especially in a year like this one. Yeah, for sure. So I have one final question for you. I mentioned my little three-year-old. Right now when we ski, it's me with him. I have a ski trainer, so I I leash him up and we kind of just go down the hill. Um, do you have any tips or should I just bring him to Bolton and have you guys teach him? Well, of course, obviously, you should bring him to Bolton and have us teach him. We have an amazing ski and ride school and we teach all the kids in Vermont to ski. So, you know, we're good. Um, but you know, I think, I think the, the thing that I notice, I think the most important thing is to keep it fun. And, you know, I see, I see the, the common mistake that I see is people like forcing their kid out when it's cold or making them stay out too long. And when they're little, when they're the little, wee, the little wee children, mm -hmm. it's just, just have a, just make sure they have a good time. Make sure they end on a good note to the extent they can, you know, pick your nice days, pick your sunny days. Um, and, uh, success breeds passion. So just make it fun. <laughs> Perfect. That's going to make it tricky this year because you can't just take all those cocoa breaks and sit inside for an hour in the lodge. So right. thermos, heat up, make it work. Yeah. <laughs> keep more it days. Sunny days. More sunny days. Yeah. <laughs> so Lindsay, anything else you want to, uh, to mention, I guess all of your, your websites, boltonvalley.com, uh, any other places, the socials people can find you. Yeah, we've got um, Instagram and Facebook. Those are great, you know, spots to sort of keep up with the day to day of what's happening. Um, and then obviously the website. And you know, for anybody who's thinking of coming up here, I would I was going to say for the first time, but I actually just in general, you know, this year the key is to just it's like everywhere in Vermont with COVID, it's just know before you go. You know, just always check the website and do as much as you can ahead of time. Um, because we really are doing everything we can this year to limit points of contact and, you know, try to get you as dialed as you can before you ever arrive. So, yeah, that's been the theme everyone's been saying though, before you go. So yeah. boltonvalley.com, B-O-L-T-O-N-V-A-L-L-E-Y.com. Yeah. Lindsay, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for featuring Bolton Valley. Our it's pleasure. Awesome. Have an awesome season. We hope you guys enjoyed that. Check out boltonvalley.com. Check our website out for links to everything you heard in this episode, the show notes, skibumpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening. We do appreciate it. Hit us up on all the on the socials, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You're at skibumpodcast. Send us an email, skibumpodcast at gmail.com. Please rate and subscribe us on your favorite podcasting apps. 
Thank you so much for listening. This will be our last episode, last new episode before Christmas. So have a Merry Christmas. Happy Kwanzaa. Merry Christmas. Hope you had a great Hanukkah last week. We will have a special repeat episode that we're going to put out the week between Christmas and New Year's. So be on the lookout for that. We have a lot planned in 2021. You'll hear from us soon enough. Have a great holiday season and we'll talk to you soon. Stay high, stay fluent. See ya.